everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. We're talking about koinonia. Uh, we're talking about just like I'm sharing flowers today. We're ta- that's what the idea of koinonia is. It's about sharing, uh, sharing within a common community. Uh, that's what it is, sharing within a common community. Or uh, if, you, if you've seen in the Bible the word fellowship, that's, what, that's the word. That's the, the Greek word, koinonia. Um, and it's, it's more than just, you know, like when we say like in church world, fellowship, you know, we're going to have food, fun, and fellowship, right? You remember those, those things were like, oh, this worked so well together, right? And so fellowship, though, in the Bible is really much deeper than that. It's more than just food. It's more than just fun. You know, it, it, it does encompass those things, certainly. Um, but it's, it's, it's about this deep-rooted sharing a com- within a common community. There's something unique, something beautiful about it, something special about it. It's far better. It's far better than any kind of biological uh, or ideological. It, 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 it carries so much weight uh, to that kind of relationships that, that, that can be shared uh, um, among, you know, different race, the different social static, economic static, status, whatever the, the case is, it, it, just, it just carries so much more weight to that. And so we said when it comes to koinonia that, um, that it, it can be beautiful, there, there, it can be absolutely beautiful, but when you, when you talk about koinonia and you talk about bringing people together, uh, you know, it's, 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 it also can get messy, right? Can we be honest about that? It can get a little messy. And so, but really the Bible, what the Bible teaches about it is so important to how do we get to that beautiful place that, and so we, I, I sort of try to give a little, uh, you know, description or a picture of what it looks like, right? Just like in any relationships, right? It's, the, you know, it starts in the honeymoon stage. And so I call this honeymoon hill, you know, and here's our, our, our person. This is fun. Oh, this is beautiful. Nothing, everything is going the way it needs to go. And then, then you start to feel like the, the reality setting in in any kind of relationship, right? So whether it's a, you know, marriage relationship or, you know, a friendship relationship, co- colleague relationship in church relationships, um, it, it begins to, you sort of find yourself in reality valley, you know, you start to see the, you know, the warts of, on people, right? And you start to notice things. And then even the, the little things like, you know, why are you chewing so loud? Well, I've been chewing this way, you know, since we've been together. Well, I hear it now more than ever, right? And so reality valley, you know, and this is oftentimes, and so it's easy for us oftentimes in relationships to sort of like bail. And so, you know, in marriage, it's a little harder to bail, but when it comes comes to church, when it comes to fellowship, koinonia, it's a lot easier to want to bail. It's a lot easier to say, you know what, I don't know about this church, or I don't know about these people, and I don't, you know, and then you keep trying to find that church, and every time you go to a different church, you, you know, it, it's your honeymoon hill, this is the best church in the world, and oh, that was the best sermon I've ever heard, and then, you know, two months later, you're like, you're not deep enough, you're, or, you know, whatever, I'm just telling you what I hear. And so, um, you find yourself in this place, and so you're, it's, it's just easy to keep bailing. Well, the Bible teaches, say, like, says, don't bail, don't quit, don't give up, keep going. And, and, the, and the way you do that is by you keep, you serve, you serve people. Why? Because the Bible teaches us we, we, it's, we put others before ourselves, right? We, we, we're selfless, right? So it's, we serve, we sacrifice, we're selfless, and then we'll have self-discovery. And so eventually we'll make our way up to 
finding that community, finding that union, finding that place where we, we find ourselves on what I call marvelous mountain, right? And, and this is a beautiful thing. And, and they're different. She's different. They have different points of view. But man, we have one common bond, one common goal, one common purpose, one common mission, and that's Jesus. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, so today, I want to kind of continue to kind of give a little bit of an overview and then as we continue to go on, we're going to talk about some more, some specific ways that we can practice koinonia. Uh, but I want to continue to kind of just give a little bit of an overview of, of koinonia. And I want to look, today I want to look at Romans 16. Romans 16. Now Romans 16, I, a couple of observations about Romans 16. It's the least preached chapter in all of the book of Romans, okay? I guarantee it. It's the least preached chapter in all the book of Romans, and you'll know why in a second, okay? Another observation about the book of, of Romans chapter 16 is this, is that the last, it's the last words of a rich, deep, theological, and relational letter written to a specific fellowship, a specific koinonia. And these are the last words written by the Apostle Paul. And it's rich, it's deep, it's theological, it's relational. It's a beautiful letter written. You should read the book of, of Romans if you get a chance, okay? Another thing about Romans 16 is this. It's how Rome... It's how Rome was won over to Christianity two to three centuries later, okay? And so remember early church, persecution, Christians dying for not what they believed, but what they saw. They saw a resurrected Jesus. That's important to know that. They didn't die for what they believed. People do that all the time. They died for what they saw. They died for an event that took place that Jesus, they saw Jesus die. They saw Jesus buried. And then they saw Jesus alive. That's Christianity. That's, the, that's what our faith is hinged upon. It's hinged upon the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And so because of that, because of that, Christians began to, to, to do what Christians are supposed to do, koinonia, in Rome. And as a result of that, even now to this day, Rome is considered to be a Christian city. It wasn't that way. And it took a century or two later. And this, according to Romans 16, that's how it happened. This is how it happened, okay? All right, another observation about Romans 16 is this. The apostle Paul would not have accomplished all that he did without this letter and chapter. The, he would not, he would not been able to accomplish all that he accomplished without this letter to the church in Rome and specifically this chapter. Okay, another observation. These are getting big, these are big statements. It's a big reason why we are gathered today Romans 16, you're like, Romans, I've never heard anybody talk about Romans 16 like that, okay? Okay, so in, in, in light of Romans 16, okay, today I want to give you, today, 16 ways to experience koinonia. Anybody nervous about that? You're like, you give me three and we're here way too long. 16. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna, let's just up the ante. I, I don't think you guys have anywhere, anywhere to go. So how about I'm going to give you 32 plus ways to experience Konania. Okay? I'm going to give you. So anybody nervous now? Anybody really nervous? Okay. All right. So give me. I'm going to give you 32 plus ways to experience Konania in 32 minutes. Are you ready? 
Okay, here we go. Here we go. Romans 16.1, okay? I recommend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria. Verse 2. That you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever manner she may have or she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Now, this is a big thing. Now, here's what Paul is doing. Paul is sending this woman by the name of Phoebe to from Corinth to go to Rome in the church in Rome to deliver the book, the letter of Romans to the church in Rome. What you have, the 16 chapters in Romans, this woman was empowered and, and, and commended by Paul to go and to travel. By the way, she had to cover her own expenses. She had to cover, she had to basically, you know, protect herself because traveling in that days were hard, rigorous, and dangerous. Paul gives this letter to this woman and says, I want you to take this and here's my commendation, this letter. Can you imagine that being your commendation? Like that, that it's the book of Romans. It's the letter that we have in our, in our Bible of to, to the Romans that in her name is written in it. And so he says, I want you to take it to there. And then she took it to Rome and it, it was also custom to the person who delivered the letter to read the letter to the church. So here's this woman said, she's a servant of mine and I want you to take this letter and you're going to cover your expenses and you're going to take care, protect yourself and you're going to deliver it and you're going to read it and you're going to proclaim the word of God to the church in Rome. I hope this is messing with your conservative views of Protestantism. Okay? All right. Good. So that's what she does. That's what she does. Now, um, here's what Ralph Emerson, uh, Waldo Emerson says, God evidently does not intend us all to be rich or powerful or great, but he does intend us all to be friends. Her name was Phoebe. Okay. All right. She had a friend named Chandler, Ross, Monica, Rachel. Okay. All right. We'll move on. But he, Ralph Emerson said that, but he didn't use the logo friends. Okay, but he did say friends. Okay, so then he goes on, he says, then says this, I want you to greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Okay, and then it says this, who risked their own necks for my, for my life, to whom not only do I give thanks, but all, also all the churches of the Gentiles. And so he's saying, listen, I'm, I want to greet Prisca and I want to greet Aquila, okay? And so then it says this in verse 5, also greet the church that is in their house, okay? I, 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 greet Epinatus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. So um, pause for a second. Let's just go back. Prisca and Aquila, some interesting things about Prisca and Aquila. Uh, they're all, Prisca was also known as Priscilla. So maybe you recognize that. Priscilla and Aquila, okay? Here's what it says in uh, Acts 18 about them. After these events, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. 
Verse 2, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a, a, name, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, he came to them. Then it says in verse 3 in Acts 18, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they worked together for they were tent makers by trade. And so just a little history of Priscilla and Aquila. They met Paul, okay, in Corinth. They, they both served together to, to fund their ministry. They, they worked together in the tent making business, okay. And so they would do tent making by, by day. And any people that they encountered, they would share the gospel. So there was tent making, sharing the gospel, being relation, relational with people as they're going about their business, as they're going about their work, as they're going about their occupation. They were on mission. They were on mission together. This is the relationship that Paul had with, with them. Come to find out, if you sort of work your way through the Bible a little bit, come to find out that Priscilla, Aquila, and Paul, they, they leave Corinth and they go to a place called Ephesus. And, and there in, in Ephesus, Paul moves on. They stay in Ephesus and they meet a young, dynamic preacher named Apollos. But Apollos was still not, didn't have the full gospel. He was preaching basically just the Old Testament. He was preaching the old law. And so Priscilla and Aquila pulled Apollos off to the side, brought them to their home, and began to share with Apollos Jesus. Apollos put his faith in Jesus. And, as, and after that, they discipled Apollos. Apollos became the pastor at a church in Corinth. And it's po quite possible that Apollos is the author of the book of Hebrews. We don't know who the author is necessarily. Some say it's Paul. Some say it's Apollos. So these, this couple was a dynamic couple for the advancement of the gospel and the good news of Jesus, right? This is who they were. They discipled people. They led people to Christ. They did an amazing work for God, okay? All right. So um, go back to, okay, verse five. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epinatus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. So we, we don't know anything more about Epinatus than that, that he was, when Paul went on his third missionary journey, he met a guy by the name of Epinatus, okay? And he led Epinatus to Christ. And he was, Epinatus was what, what would Paul consider to be what, what the first convert to Christ in, in Asia, okay? And so what, the way that Paul saw it was that Epinatus was like that first domino that fell. And, and Paul, that was so important to Paul. It was so important to Paul that he remembered the person that he first led to Christ. Why? Because that that's why he existed. That's why he was on planet earth, was to lead people into a relationship with Christ. And of course, of course he remembered Epinatus. Of course he did. If, if that's not how you say his name, I have no idea. But that's because he was the first convert to Christ from Asia. Let's go on. Verse 5. Greet Mary, thank goodness for Mary, okay, who, was, who has worked hard for you. Now, we don't know what, who this Mary was. 
we know that she was probably a Jewish, you know, woman uh, based on her name. And, and, but she, was, she worked hard. She worked hard for the church. Let's go on. Greet Andronicus. Andronicus and Junia, my kinsfolk, okay? And my fellow prisoners who are outstanding in the view of apostles who also were in Christ before me. So Andronicus and Junia, they were most likely another married couple. And Paul refers to them as his kinsfolk, his kinsfolk. Now this can mean two different things. This can mean that they were also Jewish like Paul was. So he could, that could also mean that. But it also, because of the way that, that that's, it's worded there in our English, it also could mean that they were actually relatives of Paul. They were relatives, maybe cousins or, or something along those lines of the Apostle Paul. And he describes them as fellow prisoners who were outstanding in the view of the apostles. What that means is this, that they knew the original apostles. They knew the original, the 12. They knew the 12. And they were known amongst the 12. Okay? They were known amongst people like James and John and Peter and Thomas and, and Bartholomew and, and on and on and on. Andrew, you can go on and on. So they were known among them. They were outstanding in their view. In other words, the 12 looked at Andronicus and Junia and said, wow, these are outstanding people for Jesus. They came to know Christ before Paul came to know Christ, which means that if they were relatives of Paul, Paul made their lives miserable until Paul came to know Christ, right? What we know about Paul. Okay, let's go on. Greet Amplinatus, Amplinatus, my beloved in the Lord. Okay, verse nine. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Stake, uh, Stakes, my beloved. Verse 10. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Okay, now pause. This is the first sermon that I've ever preached that I used note cards so that I can memorize these names, okay? Just, all right, can, we'll continue on. <laughs> Greet Herodion, my kinsman. So remember, it was kinsfolk. Now he's saying kinsman, okay? Now he's probably talking about they were of the same, uh, you know, race and nationality. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord, okay? So pause. He's now writing this letter to the church in Rome and people that were a part of the church in Rome were, were, were a part of um, a aristocracy. They were a part of a higher up echelon of society. Some who are like Narcissus and Aristobulus. They were um, probably maybe like relatives of, of Herod, King Herod the Great, okay? They were, they were just a part of this, this almost like this royalty kind of family. Now, it doesn't say that Narcissus was a Jesus follower. It's, he's addressing the household of Narcissus, those who are in their family. And that could mean relatives, that could mean staff, those that were a part of the household in that 
you know, that, that hierarchy type of household, okay? So he's greeting those people in that household as well, okay? And then it says, verse 12, it says, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, okay? Tryphena means delicate. Tryphosa means dainty. So they were probably twin sisters, Okay, and their mom and dad got cute with their name. Tryphena, delicate. Tryphosa, dainty. Okay, but they were workers in the Lord. They were workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, who is also probably a female. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Verse 13. Greet Rufus. A choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Okay? Now, what he means by that is Rufus's mother was like a mother to Paul. Rufus's mother was like a mother figure to the Apostle Paul. Now, why did he describe Rufus as a choice man? As a choice man. Here's why. Here's why. And we see it in Mark's gospel. In Mark's gospel. Mark uh, chapter 15. And after they had mocked him. So this is a, now the Mark's record of Jesus going to his crucifixion. It says after they had mocked him. They took the purple cloak off of him. And put his own garments on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Verse 21, and they compelled a passerby. So the Roman Empire, they, were, they had every legal right to do that. So any, any standby, any bystander that was the, there at the time, they, the, the Roman government could recruit people to help. And in, in this case, Jesus was, after being beaten unrecognizably, you know, gone through all the punishment that he went through by the Roman government. He was carrying his cross beam and he was struggling carrying his cross beam to Calvary. And so some Roman soldier recruited a guy by the name of Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene, according to Mark, who got his information from Peter, was the father of Alexander and Rufus. To carry his cross. So by the time Paul is writing this letter to this church in Romans. And he's having Phoebe deliver this letter to this church. Mark realizes that Rufus is in the church in Rome. And when Mark and with Peter is writing the gospel. And the account of the crucifixion with Jesus. When they read it they said yes we know Alexander and we know Rufus. Rufus was what Paul described as a choice man. In other words, God chose Rufus's father in that moment to carry the cross for Jesus. And Rufus, as a result of that, Simon of Cyrene came to know Jesus as their savior. Alexander most likely came to know Jesus as their as a savior. Rufus came to know Jesus as his savior. Savior and, and Simon of Cyrene's wife and Alexander and Rufus's mother came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And she was like a mother figure to Paul. Is that interesting or what? 
I hope so. I hope so. Let's continue. Greet Asyncritus and Phlegon and Hermes and Petrobus and Hermes and the brothers and sisters with them. You know what this group is? This group is like a Bible study. This is a small group within the church of Rome. Okay, that's what this is. Verse, next, next verse 15. Greet Philologus. You know what philo, philo, excuse me, philologus. You know what philologus means? Lover, philo, like Philadelphia. Lover, logos, the word. Lover of the word. Some scholars say that this was not his actual name, but was his nickname is what people called him. Why? Because he loved the word of God so much. He was philologos. And Julia and Nereus, Nereus, and his sister, and I'm so glad that his sister's name wasn't mentioned. <laughs> and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. I'm glad they didn't re- re- mention all the other saints that are with them. Let's go on. Timothy, my fellow worker, thank goodness for Timothy, greets you, as do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman. This is probably, uh, these are the companions of Paul uh, in in Corinth, okay? Verse 22, I, uh, Tertius, have written this letter, greet you in the Lord. So Tertius is the one who is actually writing the book of Romans. So Tertius is saying, hey, I'm here too. I'm writing this. Paul is telling me what to write, but I'm writing this down. And Phoebe gets to deliver it. That's what he's doing. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church. Gaius, you can read how uh, Paul was, uh, uh, Gaius uh, was a guy that Paul baptized in Corinth. That Paul says, I, I baptized two, two guys, Crispus and Gaius. He's a host to me and to the whole church. Greet you, Erastus, the city treasurer. So there's a city treasurer that is now a part of the church. Greets you. And Cortis, the, the brother. Now here's something interesting. It was to me, maybe it's not to you. So Cortis, uh, go back, go back. I'm sorry, Neva, go back. So Cortis means fourth son, okay? Cortis means fourth son. Neva, can you go back one slide to Tertius? Tertius means third son, okay? Can you imagine that mom and dad going, you're number one, you're number two, you're number three, Tertius, and Quartus is number four. It has nothing to do with this message, but I thought it was interesting. That was 32 plus wonderful ways to experience Jesus. Are you with me? People that we knew and people that we didn't know. People whose names we could pronounce and people whose names that I needed note cards for to practice. 
individual people that came together within this church in Rome that radically changed everything in that city. And you and I have the same opportunity. So we've been talking about, it's just about one anothering, right? So what do we do with that? So in Koinonia, in Koinonia, we, we should, here's what Paul says in this chapter, Romans 16, actually in verse 16, Romans 16, he says, I want you to, I want you to greet one another with what, Paul? A holy kiss. You're like, I'm never coming back again. If that's what we're going to start doing, do you not know what's going on? Like, we're still nervous about the pandemic. There's still the virus going around. Listen, no, no, no. That's not what Paul's saying. But this is actually something that they did. And the reason why, here's the, here's the reason. The reason why they would greet one another with a holy kiss. And by the way, when I was in, when I was in single adult ministry, the guys in my ministry would go, hey, Pastor Chris, there's this girl that came in. Can I greet her with a holy kiss? And no, you know, this is the reason why there isn't holy kisses anymore, okay? All right, there's, there's, there, there's a reason why the holy kiss has, is, is, is no longer within the church setting, okay? So, but they would, they would do that and it wouldn't be, you know, sensual. It wouldn't be any of that way. It was just a way. You know why? You know why? Here's, here's why. The reason why they would do that is because Christians at that time, they were ostracized from their family. They were removed, many of them were removed from their household. And, and they didn't have, they didn't have opportunity to experience the physical touch of family because of the way that their family viewed a Jesus follower at that time. And so the church instituted something that was innocent and holy and physical, non-sensual to greet each other in that would meet a need for the people. Isn't that interesting? So he says, I want you to greet one another with a holy kiss. And he says, all the churches, all the churches of Christ greet you, okay? So that what was lacking, that what was missing, and that's why they probably needed that. But that doesn't apply to us. That doesn't apply to us. Here's what does apply to us, okay? In Koinonia, in Koinonia, everyone has a story in which Jesus can be seen. I tried to go through that list of 32 plus names and highlight some of the stories of those individual people. But here's the truth. All of those names... All of those names had a story. All of those names had a story of how Jesus can be experienced and how Jesus can be seen. Here's the truth. All of you have a story that is incredible. I get the privilege as a pastor here at this church to sit down with many of you, if you allow me to, and hear your story. And you know what it always does for me? Anytime that I can sit down with somebody and have a meal with somebody, I walk away so blown away and how I've seen Jesus in your story. 
And I think, I think, I wish, I wish our church would just take the time and the effort and the energy to sit down with one another and to hear each each other's story so that they can also walk away so that you can also walk away going, wow, I saw Jesus in a unique, amazing way. And some of those people in the Romans 16, some we knew their story and some we didn't know their story. But all we know is this, they all had a story to share and your story is just as good as anybody else's story. And when you share your story, Jesus can be seen. So here's the thing. Our story is not about explaining something. Our story is about experiencing someone, right? Like your story is not you trying to explain something because I've heard your story and you try to go, well, you know, it just, this is how it happened. And, and I know it sounds, and I, every time I hear people, people say, I know this sounds crazy. I know this sounds weird. I know this sounds wacky. But, but you're not, and you're like, I don't know how to explain something. But here's what I know. I've experienced a someone. And here's the thing. Your story, your story, you don't have to try to figure out how to explain something. All you need to communicate when it comes to your story is how you experienced someone named Jesus in your life. That's your story. This is why the Bible exists. The Bible exists because dozens of men and women wanted to share, not to how to explain something, but they wanted to share how they experienced someone. So Matthew said, I want to experience, I want to share how I experienced someone named Jesus. Mark says, I want to share how I experienced someone named Jesus. And Peter goes, let me help you with that because I want to as well. And, and Luke says, I want to ex- share how I experienced Jesus. And John says, I want want to share how I experienced someone named Jesus. And Paul's going, boy, a story that is hard to explain about how I came to Jesus. If you know Paul's conversion story, it's weird. It's weird. And if I came to you and said, there was a great light and the light blinded me and I fell down and I was blind for days and I heard the voice of Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? And I'm going to make you and you're going to be persecuted for, for me. And, and I said, and I got up and I said, great, I'm all in on this. You're going to look at me going, you're nuts. That was Paul's story. But Paul's mission, Paul's mission was not of trying to explain what happened to him, but to others to experience what Jesus has done for him. And you have a story, and you have a story, and you have a story, and you have a story. And you may not be Paul, and you may not be Timothy, and you not, may not be Mary, and you may not be Tertius, and you may not be so sipiter, 
but at least your name can be pronounced and your story and your story of Jesus can make a difference. Are you with me? You, you, and your story is about not explaining something. It's about experiencing a someone. Why? Because a living example is better than a lengthy explanation. A living example is better than a lengthy explanation. I love talking shop and I love debating the Bible and I love sitting down with people that are atheists or not sure about Jesus or not sure about the church. I'll have a lengthy explanation with you as much as you possibly want. But what I want and what you should want more than anything else is that your life is a living example of Jesus. And your story is about showing people that you've experienced a someone and his name is Jesus and it's personal to you. Another observation. I don't know where I'm at in my 32 minutes, but I know I'm getting, cutting it close. In Koinonia, everyone has a situation that can be shared with someone else's situation. Everyone has a situation that can be shared with someone else's situation, okay? Here's, here's an interesting thing. In those, in those 32 plus names that Paul was greeting and Paul was commending and Paul was sharing who he was with, here's the, he describes them in different terms, right? He says, he calls some of them beloved, and he calls some of them his kinsmen or his kinsfolk. He says some of them are part of the household of Aristobulus or Narcissus. So he, says, he describes some of them as hard workers. He even says that some of them were his fellow prisoners. What does that mean? Paul is saying, listen, in koinonia, in fellowship, and certainly in the church, you can find someone who shares, who shares in the same situations that you are in. Neva, can you go back to that list for me real quick? That's what he's trying to say. He's like, listen, some of you are like the beloved, and I don't know, I'm, I'm just, this is just like me having fun for a minute, okay? Okay, so maybe like the beloved or like the super emotional Pete Christian, right? The ones during the music that your hands are raised, you know, and, and if you could, you would dance around the room, you know, if you thought you, it, it was, you know, it wouldn't be distracting to people. You know, you, these are like the emotional people, right? That, that's, and he's describing some of them in, in that way. Some are like the kinsfolk. Maybe there's relatives, there's family members. Some are the household. Maybe you're in a household where not all of your household are Jesus followers, Maybe you're in a household where not, your husband's not, he's not coming to church with you. He's, he, you you've asked, you've invited, he's just not coming. And you, and you continue to pray and you're gonna continue to invite, but, but that's your situation. You know what? There's a room of people. There's a room of people that also share in that story. So you have the beloved, you have the, the relatives, you have the household of people that not everybody's a believer in your home. You have hard workers, right? So the hard workers and the beloved, those are kind of like on two different spectrums, right? right? This is the Mary and this is the Martha. 
right? This is the Mary. We're like, stop with the worship music. We got stuff to do around here, right? Like, quit. We got, like, you're like, I'm not, I don't need to be in the room raising my hand. I'm like in kids' church, or I'm like doing something. Like, you're just, that's your thing. And there's nothing wrong with either one of them. All, both are good. You're just on different sides of things. You see things differently. Maybe you're in like the prisoner's category. I don't know who that is, but maybe you can find fellow prisoners in this room. Like we share that experience together, okay? Maybe you can find that. Or maybe you're like, maybe you're in the, you have an experience of like addiction and you've been, you, you knew what it was like to be a prisoner of addiction, whether it was your personal or whether it was a family member. Did you know that we have groups for that? We have a group for that. We have a fellowship for that. We have a fellowship for, for, for all, all of these. You, you can find that. You, and, and so put it, put it in maybe in, in our terms, in our terms, like you can find that, like, whether it's like marriage, whether it's young couples, whether it's, you know, couples with young kids, whether it's, you know, married couples with teenage kids, because that's a whole different category, isn't it? That's a whole different life experience, isn't it? And maybe it's singles, you know, you know, maybe it's just men, maybe it's just women, maybe, you know, maybe you're empty nesters, you're like, I just, I need to find my people, my empty nester people, you know, maybe you're a widow, I need to find other widows, why? So I can, like, I can sympathize, people can understand what, what my situation is, what I'm going through, do you, do you see what it is? Here's the thing, everyone, everyone has a shared situation that can be shared with everyone else. This must happen. It's, it's so that, why? So that you can be encouraged. So that you can know that you're not alone. Do you know what the enemy is so good at doing? The enemy is so good at telling you you're alone in that situation. Nobody's going to understand that situation. You're an addict. Nobody's going to get what it means to be an addict. Nobody's going to get what it means to be a parent of an addict. Nobody's going to get that. You're alone in that. No, you're not. Nobody's going to understand that why you can't get your husband or wife or your kids to come to church. Nobody, you're not alone. You're not alone. And in Koinonia, we all have situations that can be shared with each other so that we can encourage one another and we can serve one another and we can love one another just like Jesus loves you. You following me? Okay, let me give you one more. In Koinonia, this is important. Everyone has sin and is susceptible to living contrary to scripture. Surprise? You're not surprised. Good. I hope you're not. Everyone has sin and is susceptible to living contrary to Scripture. Did you know what Paul says in the midst of that, those greetings in Romans 16? Here's what Paul says. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, keep your eye on those who cause dissension and hindrances, hindrances contrary to the teachings which you learned and turn away from them. Verse 19. For the report of your obedience... So Paul says, I've heard about your obedience. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. So he's warning them, and I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Because koinonia is messy. And not everybody 
is wanting to stay true to the scriptures. And so we gotta be aware of that. And we want to make sure that we don't associate ourselves. We don't put ourselves in a, in a situation where we're around people in our life, not just the church, but people in our life that, are, that live contrary to the scriptures. Listen, if all you're doing, if all you're doing is hanging around people who aren't obedient to the scriptures, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to start being susceptible to not being obedient to the scriptures. That's why it's so important for you to find community with people that at least want to try to be obedient to the truths of God's word. Why? Because the reality is, for the most of us, we are around people who are not. Right? We work with them. We do life with them. We experience, we're with people that are not. So we need to make and find the time and make the effort to be around people that want to be obedient to the word and live that way. And if we're, if we're too much around people in our life. Now, does that mean that you can't be missional? Be missional. Be missional. If you're at work, be missional. If you're hanging around with friends who aren't Jesus followers, you be missional. But be careful. Because of sin, you are susceptible to adapting and being in the mix and being like them. Paul said it this way, and he quoted a Greek philosopher. He says, bad company, he wrote it in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. So be careful. So be careful. Be careful. Hey, you have a story, and it's amazing, and everybody should hear it. But you got to put yourself in a situation. You got to put yourself in an environment. You got to put yourself in a place where people can hear your story and you can hear their story. Because I've heard them and they're awesome. And I'm so blessed when I hear them. And I'm so encouraged. I walked away from a lunch a couple days ago, or a breakfast a couple days ago, a breakfast that turned into a lunch, right, Steve? A couple days ago. And I walked away blown away. Steve's a talker. He's a talker. I love you, buddy. I'm blown away. You should want to hear their stories. Somebody has a shared experience that you have. You should encourage each other in that. And who you hang out with who you hang out with, it influences you. I don't care how old you are. Who you hang out with most of the time, they influence. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. I think that was a little longer than 32 minutes, but at least that was 32 plus ways to experience. And here's what I know. There's 32 plus ways right in this room for you to experience. And if your name is Sosipater, I want to meet you. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, uh, 
these men and these women, different social, economic, racial, gender, so many distinctions within that community, within that fellowship, within that koinonia that made an impact on the Apostle Paul, who we do know, who made an impact on that city of Rome, which still today, there's crosses that remember the one crucifixion of your son Jesus to this day. The reason these people, the reason why we're sitting here right now is because of these people in Romans 16 and many others that Paul greets in the Bible that we, we don't even really know their story, but we do know they had one. And God, we thank you that you're in the business of telling stories, that our life can be a living example, that our story can make a difference in this world, in this city, in our homes, at our schools. I pray, God, that we know that we have a part to play, a role to play, and we can share those experiences with each other as we have navigated and gone through this life and all the ups and the downs and the hurts and the pains and the sorrows and the joys. We can share those experiences together, and we don't have to be alone. And we want to be really careful, God, about who we're associating with and who we're putting around us in our life that are influencing our morals and our character and our integrity and are influencing that example that we so badly want to share of how we've experienced a someone named your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming today. Happy birthday.